Fireside Chats, a weekly show featuring conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and outdoor hospitality experts who share their insights to help your business succeed. Hosted by Brian Searle, the founder and CEO of Insider Perks, empowered by insights from Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. afternoon everybody and welcome to another episode of mc fireside chat uh i am an old familiar face uh back for i mean what i will argue is probably going to be the best show of the year since it's me right <laughs> no uh for those of you who don't know my name is karis is maria uh, i'm president of the canadian camping and RV council i am formerly the co-host on this show and so i'm back here helping out for the week as brian is on well deserved and well earned uh, vacation time. So we are back for our regular glamping episode, which we have once a month. Uh, before we dive into the episode, I just want to do our shout out to Horizon Outdoor Hospitality, mainly so that I don't uh, drop the ball and get, you know, deep down in conversation and forget all about it. Uh, so I just want to say thank you. Delivering decades of combined expertise, they're the industry leaders dedicated to elevating assets in the outdoor hospitality industry. Whether you need third-party management solutions, top-notch accounting, strategic marketing, or assistance in brokerage and development, Outdoor, Horizon Outdoor Hospitality has you covered. Their unwavering commitment to excellence ensures your outdoor hospitality business reaches its full potential. Thank you, Horizon, for your support of MC Fireside Show. Awesome. Okay, so we are uh, kind of on the verge of full... Certainly here in Canada, where I'm located, we are feeling that transition right now. We're starting to see uh, some of our parks and resorts and properties uh, transition into that more shoulder season occupancy time uh, numbers, as well as obviously, you know, the season shifting and things cooling down a little bit. We have a really interesting dynamic here in Alberta, where I am with uh, color changes, and that really drives a lot of like hiking and outdoor uh, traffic at this time of the year as everyone clamors to get those last trips in before wow, the snow falls. So it's always one of my favorite times of the year here, both because of those things, because I like to do those things, but also uh, in the industry and at the association level where I work, we get to start really meeting again with property owners across the country as their big summer season is behind them and, and transition into things. So I get to experience networking and and sitting down with them again which i'm actually excited to do in october in denver for the glamping show america zach will i see you there again i will be there we're we were actually um asked to to speak this year so we'll be presenting on uh the monday events of the show um to encourage people to kind of think long term about their glamping resorts what are what are some forward thinking uh, things that they can do? What are the, the common challenges with staffing and operations? And, and what are some of the kind of new things that are, are coming to the industry to help resort owners and developers and, and builders do, do better 
um, just kind of elevate the industry as a whole. So we're really excited to be there. Um, actually coming out with a, a couple members of our team. Um, looking forward to to meeting folks and and seeing what, if anything, we can do to to help them. Oh, I'm so excited. I will definitely sit down that session. I really encourage uh, viewers and anybody involved in the industry or even considering getting involved to attend that event. I can't say enough about last year was my first year at getting to go in person. And it was really, really not only just incredibly informative, but such a great way to network and, and connect with folks in the industry. And then, of course, also see a ton of incredible product all in one place. Uh, do all those comparisons and things like that. The, the tire kicking, <laughs> if you will, um, is is next level incomparable. Uh, the Glamping Show Americas, they, their team does a wonderful job. It's always so well attended and lots of bodies in there. That's always the big thing. You almost don't have enough time to see everybody. Crazy. But uh, super excited to see everybody that will be there in October. And I, I think we're going to do a live show from there too, right? I heard. Apparently, <laughs> I'll uh, I'll I'll be in the audience. I'll excitedly uh, watch. Maybe I'll submit some questions and throw you guys off or, or whatever. Um, ah, here's Ruben. Welcome, Ruben. Uh, so you're, you're joining us this timely. I'm going to go around the room and ask everyone for an in, an introduction, just kind of who you represent or work for or or uh, how you play in the outdoor hospitality industry with us here and then we'll dive into a couple of things today so let's start with alex uh, hey guys my name's uh, alex allred i live in Asheville, north carolina and i'm a general contractor a few years ago we started building some domes we with pacific domes and our little niches we build these um as a dwelling so we put electrical mechanical we have full-on kitchenette shower we built the fanciest tents around, basically. Fancy tents. We love it. Uh, and Richard? Fancy tents. I love it too. Yeah, so I'm Richard. Uh, we're from near Cape Town in South Africa. My wife and I have a lamping business where we basically have permanently set up bell tents. Um, and one, uh, one fancy unit, like I would gladly show Alex, and we base, we, we, yeah, we, we focus on functions. So we always fill up the tents with one group of people and, and then we do functions like weddings, birthdays, etc. Cool. So, Exciting. I have some big questions for both of you guys, but, uh, Zach, I know we already touched on, on your exciting stuff for the glamping show, but an intro, please. So my name is Zach Stoltenberg. I'm the uh, director of outdoor hospitality with Clockwork Architecture. Uh, we are based in Kansas City, and uh, we we specialize in uh, designing, developing, permitting, approving, um, glamping, camping, and in, in outdoor hospitality resorts uh, across the country. So I, I like to say I have the best job in the world because I get to work with really incredible people and and help them build their dream, build their vision, their goal for for uh, glamping resorts. Um, yeah, that's who we are. We're, we're a recurring guest on um, uh, Fireside Chat, so always happy to to weigh in and uh, connect with other people in the industry. Yeah, grateful for your time. And Ruben. Hello, everybody. Uh, Ruben Martinez, the founder, executive director of the American Glamping Association, so we provide tools, resources, community, network for anybody and everybody 
in the glamping space. Um, been around in the industry for, for almost 15 years now with a variety of, of businesses over the years, everything from manufacturing and tech to operations. And, uh, but, um, Zach, I have the best job in the world, so I might, uh, <laughs> but no, it's, it's been fun to see how everything's been growing, uh, over the years and always excited to, um, kind of do what we get to do on a daily basis and talk glamping all day, every day. Yeah. Well, I was going to say I have the best job in the world, but I don't know if we can all fight this out here. How about everybody? Yeah. Everybody has the best. <laughs> all in one I think Anytime you're, you're passionate and purposeful about what you're doing and, and you enjoy the people that you get to do it with, then that is the best job in the world, right? Agreed. Yeah. And Zach, I'm not smart enough to be able to do your jobs. <laughs> it wouldn't be the best job for me because of that factor. Yeah, totally. Um, so I, I was, Zach was mentioning, uh, we'll run into him in, in Denver in October at the glamping show. I assume Ruben, you'll be there too. Yeah, no, looking forward to it. It's going to be, um, you know, the amount of vendors that we have, we filled up pretty quickly. There's a lot of indoor, outdoor, new existing um, businesses that will be there. And just, it's always a, the one time of the year that everybody can be under the one roof at the same time. And, and uh, it's a shame it's only a few days in a certain way, but uh, I know everybody leaves excited and invigorated and hopefully um, you know, it's a very productive time for people to with new, new, new businesses, new connections, new sales and things like that. So it's just a great, great time of the year and, and always looking forward to it and uh, looking forward to seeing and hanging out with you guys too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be great. I agree. It's always very, I leave there excited and I have this fresh, like perspective on the industry and how cool it is and how quickly it's changing and all those things. It's, uh, it's one of my, my favorite industry events to attend for sure. Uh, so I am going to dive in with our guest here quickly. I, I know Richard, you may have some time constraints, so maybe I'll start with you. Um, I did a little bit of digging ahead of time about Harry Glamping. Um, but if you want to give us, I know you mentioned, uh, you guys focus a lot in the event space. Um, I was looking at your website and the, the, Space, the big fancy gent looks really, really awesome. Um, I'm wondering if you can share insights about how you effectively manage and maintain kind of the natural surroundings while accommodating guests in this kind of cool luxury way. How do you balance that? And and maybe I'll give a bit of background to this question. I'm a former campground owner, and so I spent a lot of time being conscious about you know landscaping and strategically placing sites and units and connections and all of those things um do you have any insight about your strategy behind doing that while maintaining the outdoor appeal of your property yeah i think uh, we were lucky to get a very nice piece of property which um you know wherever we stand we we just have views and we were lucky enough that there were two forests on the on the property that we could set up because, yeah, if you're in a tent, you need shade mm. because it's not a house that you can use an aircon with. Right. Um, 
we've also brought in a lot of animals like zebras and some buck. And uh, so there's a constant fight between myself and my wife about landscaping because whatever she plants, my animals eat. So, um, but that's part of the image we wanted to create, to have this sort of safari outdoor idea. But what we've done is we've stuck in, we've, we haven't used any of the land except the two forest areas for, for the accommodation. And that's where we are sticking with. And the rest we landscape now with bigger trees where zebras can't reach. And, um, and just, yeah, try and fit in with nature. So we've built two dams on the farm, which, which is just natural dams where people can swim and or fish. Um, and yeah, a, a low footprint as possible Okay. On the, the, on the bigger part of the land. I'm curious to know too, specifically as it relates to kind of large events, um, how logistically challenging is it to welcome and host events in a more kind of remote or rural location like that? Are there specific considerations you make when planning events with with your guests? Yeah. So we don't get involved in the event. So oh. we have a service that is the that is the longevity of this for us because we uh, you know there's a there's normally a planner or that's involved and normally it's the one that that we recommend. So there's no reception even at our place. People arrive by then they'll have a number which they would get from their own host, which is maybe the bride or or the planner. Okay. We don't involve the caterer. Say so they organise all of that. We just make sure that everything works. That's there. So obviously tents are made up and decorated beautifully. The showers should, should be hot. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, you know, we only work on weekends basically. And then, um, if there's an issue, it's, it's always Friday at four. Of course. Um, but yeah, it's just general maintenance of the year to make sure all of that work. And then don't get involved with the guests. We, you know, I go on a Friday evening, I always say, if it's nice people, I have a quick beer. And if not, then I go have a beer down. That's about how far we are involved with the actual function of the weekend. That's awesome. I, I, yeah, I, and it works for us because we don't have, have hospitality staff. We basically give a blank canvas so that people bring their own decor for the cool. function itself. But yeah, it's, it's just for us the, the best way to stay, to, to, maintain our best job in the world which i also have yeah yeah um so then i guess given that then that you're kind of focused on the facility and and things like that and and still selling this luxury experience do you have a, kind of a, a base list of the types of amenities that you would consider luxury or that your guests would that you feel are kind of non-negotiables, you need to have those in place, like a hot shower certainly is one of those, but additionals to that? Yeah, we, I think one, one of those, uh, we obviously have all the amenities that you need, like soaps and uh, good linen, which was a non-negotiable for us, warm blankets, um, hot showers, it's shared bathrooms, but uh, we've learned over time to, to inform people well in, in advance because we don't deal with the, with the people staying over. So what we've found often, they don't know what to expect because nobody told them. So, you know, the bride and groom would come and have a look and like, oh, we love this and we love the zebra and the tents are beautiful. And then they invite their guests and then, you know, people come and say, well, there's no toilet in the tent. I'm like, there, there never was. So it's not like 
somebody's stolen it. So now we, we send out an extra document out that they can share with the guests to tell them exactly how the camp layouts work. It was just over time we learned that give as much information as you can before the time. So that whatever they expected, you know, it was um, communicated well before the time. I know that's something Ruben talks about all the time, or or I've heard him talk about multiple times is setting clear good good guest expectation stuff. Um, we've talked about that on this show in my past experiences too. I agree. I think it's vital. Um, and then my last question, I know I feel like I've got you on the hot seat here, but I'm curious. I saw on your website uh, a mention of a no venue fee for guests staying over, which I find is an interesting approach. Uh, how how has this pricing strategy worked for your business? And you know, do you, how do you find it's impacted bookings and occupancy? Yes. To be fair, our accommodation is quite expensive. Right, it's, it's expensive for a tent, but mm-hmm. it, so if I can, uh, in our local currency, a luxury venue would probably cost you a hundred thousand rand for a venue. So say that's for. Uh, $5,000 for the venue. When, when people book 80 tents for two nights, that's almost the equivalent. So right. that's my, my, so they are getting a free venue and accommodation for 80 people instead of just a venue. Um, what they charge their guests, I don't know. Often the guests carry the whole cost of staying over. And sometimes it's either, um, uh, subsidized by the, by the couple or paid in full. But it's but that again is their is is their choice. So whatever they were willing to pay for a venue, they could um, divide into the amount of tents, basically. Interesting. No, yeah, so for, so it's a bit of a marketing tool, I think, to say no venue because because the tents are a little bit more expensive than what you would have paid for just a tent. Sure. So Richard, I, I have a question. Um, so when you do these events, you're essentially renting the entire resort correct so you're you're not having private glamping guests and a wedding that it's you're basically shutting down and and the entire venue goes for that event yeah so we've got two camps actually so there's two camps at two venues but but we still rented out to one group so they would normally come for a weekend which means they have a friday night venue and then a saturday night venue which would maybe be the big function and then Friday night, normally a barbecue with closer friends and family or the whole group depends on, on, on who come for two nights or one night, mm-hmm. but we don't so rent out is... two different people because of music. So, you know, you can't have private people oh. and then they, you know, have a lot of doof in the ear the whole night. So, so, so yeah, it's best to have one group and we, you know, whoever makes a noise, they have to sort it out. And Richard, do you have a, a pavilion or what, what's the actual venue? Um, so um, we have uh, the, 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 the oldest camp, which is about eight years old. It's got a, a, a big deck that's covered with, with a Bedouin tent. And that can host, we have, we've hosted up to a hundred people there. And then our main venue, if I can call it, that is a glass enclosed, um, uh, steel structure. So it's basically just steel and uh, and glass. So it's uh, probably 80% glass around the side, if not more. And it overlooks the valley, opens up to a nice big lawn area, which they use. 
at this weekend, we had a wedding for 150 people actually inside, which I didn't think was possible because normally with that size, they, they dance outside, but they did everything inside. So it's a, it's a sizable venue that they have. And then the tents are actually around the venue. Um, yeah, it's, it's um, at the two camps, which is about 600 yards apart from each other. Cool. And you managed to stay out of the logistics, I guess. You said there's a planner that comes in. So you, I guess your vision for the place was to develop um, a venue that you could just host people and sort of stay stay out of it. Exactly. Um, I, I think I want to be like you when I grow up. <laughs> That's awesome. We, we have um, some designs to do uh, something similar in our area, but um, I'm interested to, to learn more about your, your place. Um, we, we started with kind of a small just one unit we bought a small piece of land and um we have we want to scale up in time but um i think that's very interesting um in, in what you're doing and can i ask like how um what's your availability throughout the year how how um how long is your venue open so throughout the year we close for july august which is our winter and for the rest uh, we are open so 40 weekends of the year we do our business and then a little bit of midweek we pushed hard for to get more um, corporate business, but they also want to do their thing on a weekend, which I find amazing. I, you know, we would have thought so. So, so we do have, um, we do have, uh, yeah, it's mainly weekends with a few midweek weddings as well, especially December. December is actually quite full. Uh, even midweek January, there's a few midweek ones, and then we also have some European um, cyclists. Smaller groups, but they they book midweek, so it's basically a weekend. Uh, yeah, so I would say we've full forty weekends of the year, and give or take about ten other functions to the year at the moment. But when we full, it's eighty to hundred people, so it's because we can add more tents. So it's actually oh, it's a nice nice full capacity over weekends, which covers makes up for the quiet week. Yeah, no doubt. And as you talk about marketing strategy, I'm sure the zebras are uh, a big hit. So I don't know, <laughs> I don't know where one gets zebras, but uh, if you have a, yep. if you have a good zebra guy, no, you can. I'll, I can send you one. Ah. I can send you real. I'll take two. We're straight okay. South Africa. Yeah. No, we That's actually, sweet. we actually increased the, the. We we are increasing the uh, variety of games. So we did a new game fence this last month. Um, just finished the gate today. So uh, people do, and, and we've actually started marketing in England and Germany yeah. for, I think they call it destination weddings. And uh, all, and we, we've actually had a few people who's flown in with their guests to come and get married in Africa. So, yeah, so I bet. The idea is, you know, get more animals and, you know, they can market the place for me. <laughs> That's a sales pitch. My Insta, Insta Zebra. Nice. Yeah. That's a great strategy. Amazing. Thanks. I appreciate your journey, your insight. The event approach is always, you know, I think those who take it on, I always admire them because it feels daunting. So I applaud you. Um, so Alex, I might shift over to you. I have in my notes here, uh, you're on Blue Ridge Lamping. Correct. Yep. On a waterfall. On a waterfall? Uh, on a waterfall, no, near a waterfall. Near what? Well, so 
we're located near uh, Chimney Rocks Park and Lake Bloor. So there's a lot of waterfalls in the area, but we're not, you know, not directly on one. We do have a nice big pond and a creek. It's a very um, it's a nice piece of property, but I'm not aware of any waterfalls. Yeah. Great. Sounds okay. great. Right. Um, so I guess similar question that I had for Richard, and I feel like this answer typically kind of comes or is, is fairly similar where you kind of work with the natural surroundings to the best of your ability and, and so choosing kind of where you get to build a business like this is not always, uh, we don't have a ton of choice about it, but, but utilizing the uh, natural surroundings that we're blessed with in those areas is generally the strategy. I'm assuming that's the same for you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when we were looking for property, we really started with um, just the idea to do one or two as a kind of a proof of concept. And so we started with working with Pacific domes. We did our first one, uh, which is a 30 foot dome, which is about 700 square feet. Mm -hmm. And um, we wanted to buy something that was close to where people were already traveling. Um, so like I said, Lake Lord, Chimney Rock, it's destination in our, in our areas so of state park and it attracts a lot of visitors already. So we were wanting to build a back to nature kind of experience with the idea of luxury, privacy, uh, and some novelty, you know, so we looked at yurts and, um, you know, domes, shipping containers. So as a builder, I'm a, I'm a general contractor. I wanted to build something unique. So tree houses, all, all that, that type of thing. We settled on Pacific domes because we liked their product and I didn't see anything else like that around here. So the idea for us was to build a dome, but then to outfit it with uh, plumbing, with uh, air conditioning, we have king size beds. So it's kind of a five-star hotel room in the woods was kind of our, our um, thing we were shooting for. So we built one and then, um, then this was back in 2019 and it was very successful. We built another one on our property and then people started reaching out. We had a couple of videos that we released. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows Levi Kelly. He's a YouTuber who he visits all unique Airbnbs around the country. And so he came out and did a video for us and that kind of blew up, um, filled up our, you know, our reservation, our bookings, but also um, a lot of people started reaching out for consulting. And so we also helped teach people and guide people through the process of zoning and permits and, you know, how to work with a, your local county to, um, to get a, a canvas structure like this permitted, like a, like a dwelling so that you can put plumbing and, you know, turns out people like showers and flushing toilets, that type of thing. So that's kind of our little niche. That's, um, that's how we got started. Yeah. Well, and I'll be honest that the, the permitting part was one of my questions on my list. Um, it's a significant challenge for the majority of my members up here who, who are exploring those uh, soft walled structures, uh, getting permitting and, and things like that to, to really make them luxurious can be really challenging in a lot of the counties up here. Certainly some areas of the country are maybe more kind of tourism minded. And so they're a little bit more uh, functional on that end. But I, did you experience initial hurdles with that or were you embraced? <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I mean, they, they told me no like 10 times, but I'm kind of stubborn and persistent. So um, we purchased the land, we had a, a plan in place and we met with the county multiple times with the, first of all, you start with zoning, obviously. Uh, but then you have, we have what's called environmental health department here. And they're the ones who oversee like the well and septic system. Uh, we brought, uh, bought a piece of property that already had a well and septic system in place. And so um, after about five months of meeting with all the different departments and um, 
providing some engineering documents and then just, uh, you know, finding solutions. I really, I just didn't take no for an answer. I kept going, coming back to him and said, hey, hey guys, I'm sure there's a solution here. What if we hired an engineer to certify the R value? So for example, um, we had to do that because the, um, even with the winter liners and, you know, there's a lot of different manufacturers. If anyone's checked into that, I'm sure you've seen there's, there's, and certainly more have popped up since we started. But even with the winter liners, you're not going to reach what the code requirements are for a traditional structure. Um, that doesn't mean you can't do it. That just means you need to get an engineer involved, um, somebody with a stamp, somebody with some like HVAC credentials to kind of evaluate the structure, make recommendations on the heating and cooling that's required. And then if um, you know, hire an engineer, get a stamp, that's usually the solution. You can pretty much build anything you want, <laughs> but you have to get the right people with the right credentials involved. And if they stamp it and the professional liability for it, then usually the county is is happy. But that's, I think answer your question, yes, many hurdles, many times. <laughs> and so I just kept knocking on doors and say, well, hey, can I, with, uh, can, I, can I speak to the manager, please? So I actually kind of escalated up, up to, um, you know, folks who make decisions. And then eventually once they saw that we were, um, you know, conscientious, we're trying to do things the right way, they began to work with us a little more. And typically that's what I found. Um, you know, across the country, because like I said, people started reaching out to us through our through our YouTube and everything, and we we kind of help help people speak the language of their county so that they can overcome some of these hurdles. Um, but yes, yes, it's zoning is is zoning, uh, building department, all of those things. That's actually probably the biggest challenge for people. Mm -hmm. um, building them it actually becomes simple after you after you get the approvals. So. Yeah, agreed. I'm curious then, so uh, do your units stay up all year round? You know, dismantle anything? Yeah, no. So for us, we're building it as a as a house. So from the okay. county's point of view, it's something that people could live in full time. So it's on a concrete foundation. Um, like I said, heat and air conditioning, we're connected to the power grid. So we have an electrical panel just like a house would because we've got a hot tub. We have air conditioning. So we're using more power. We're using it's definitely not a primitive uh, setup. It has, you know, a full electrical panel and it has cooking, you know, it's everything that you would need. Uh, you know, you could actually live there full time. So, yes, to answer your question, it's it's all year round. Uh, in, you know, in the wintertime, we're kind of at elevation and we're in the mountains. So we do get, we get snow and um, quite a variety, but uh, we've got these pellet stoves, which is like a wood burning stove, which you pour bags of pellets. You may have seen like a barbecue it's a little, uh, you dump a big bag of pellets in there and it filters through. So you get a nice actual wood burning fire, but you just kind of push a button. So the guests don't have to actually start a fire. They can just push a button and it creates a nice fire, keeps everything nice and toasty in there. And so, yes, we're open, open all year round. That's lovely. I'm, I'm a, I know some operators who are jealous about that. Uh, I was just talking to a gentleman who's trying to pick structures and he is dealing with significant snow load. And so that's a big factor in his choice, uh, given that he would like to try to extend his operating season into the winter. Um, so that's, I know probably I spend a ton of time in conversations with operators on a daily basis and the permitting stuff is consistent and regularly one of our biggest hurdles that we see come up from members. Um, and, you know, I think it's, there's so many variables depending on where you're located and what the climate's like and all of those things that impact that stuff. And also, obviously, 
self-regulation and things like those things. It's a challenge, um, but I uh, we are starting to see, I think, a, a shift and a and then really embracing um, glamping specifically, and you know, a lot of properties up here. And I know we're behind most of the other places in the world, but um, things are catching up for us here in Canada for sure. Now, how did you guys do over the the summer too? Because I know in in certain climates where it can be a bit humid. You know, even with a, a mini split and you got the insulation in there, you know, there's a few heat waves that come in and, nice. and it can be tough. You could be blaring the, the AC, but then, you know, I know during the fall and the winter time, obviously the, the season starts to pick up and temperatures start to, to cool down. But, um, you know, how, how was the kind of July, August, uh, you know, did, how did everything perform? Yes. Oh, they definitely get hot. What I would say is, is, um, if you have some tree cover, that's ideal. It's out in the, if a dome is out in the open, you're going to be fighting that uh, for sure. And definitely don't orient the big bay window. If you've seen these structures, the bay window, don't, don't point that directly at the sun. You can orient that away from that. That helps a little bit. We also have a couple of sun shades. So those big uh, shade structures that we've got. Um, and we do have a mini split. I also have just a regular plug-in off the shelf model that I use for you know, hottest times of the year. So that helps a little with the winter liner. They do, they do better. I think it's still in terms of our value, if anyone knows, it's still maybe around R eight to 10. So it's not R 30, like a normal house would be. So you're going to be fighting that during the hottest, uh, you know, midday sun. But I've also found that our, you know, we, we try and be upfront on our listing so they know what to expect. And a lot of, we're, we're mostly Airbnb. But that's the platform that, that we use the most. And, and if you write a, a good description, people know what to expect. Uh, we also find that typically, typically during that, that we're out exploring, they're hiking, they're doing things, maybe, um, you know, checking out the area. So uh, people can, can head out during the midday if they're uncomfortable, then head back. So, but yes, they do get hot. <laughs> uh, yay for 10. Those are the best. <laughs> mm. um, that's exciting. I love. Uh, hearing from operators and I, my favorite part of having the best job in the world. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate your guys' time today. Um, I, I'm curious, Ruben, do you have any kind of exciting association updates, fun things, education opportunities for operators, things like that coming up? No, I think we're just excited for, for the show. And I think it's been fun to see how everybody's shaped up over the summer and, and in different countries, not only just here, um, you know, stateside, but every year is a little bit different. And, and, you know, Zach, you know, better than anybody, just the, the change in development, I don't even want to call it speed, but cadence in a way where how people are choosing products or uh, projects and investments and expansions, you know, it, it really is a, a year by year now versus you know, in the middle of COVID, it was obviously a completely different speed. So it's been, I think we're still about a month away from truly understanding how everybody, how everything kind of shook out, you know, across the board, across the, the, the states in particular, um, for, you know, just, just the pure basic numbers, right. Between the ADR and occupancy and, and how that affects everybody's mindsets for, you know, what does next year look like? Right. Because, um, I think a few years ago, there was a level of what a plan could look like. And then, and then now I think this summer, 
and going into a strong fall, you know, uh, will really help us understand what the next three years could look like. I think this year really puts a nice flag in the sand of, all right, what are we doing over the next three years? Because anything that we do this year from an operational standpoint, from a business standpoint, you know, we had to start cooking that two years ago, right? So um, it'll be interesting to see what this, call it end of October, where every, everything looks, what everything looks like. And then as everybody reloads, really, right? Even if you have a busy as an operator in November, December, January, because you can be open and stay open because of your, your um, climate and your environment, mm -hmm. people still using that time to say, all right, what's the plan? What's next? What are we doing? How did this last six months inform our next three years? Right. Um, so yeah, Zach, I don't know if you're seeing anything in particular, but I think there's a very interesting part of the year of, all right, things are, the chips are about to fall. People will take that information and then start making the best decisions possible. And, and there might be some early indicators, but I think that end of October becomes a very interesting time of year for, for everybody. Yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing a ramp up. Um, I think we've gone under contract for eight new resort developments in the last probably six weeks. Um, which I think we always kind of pick up around this time of year. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think, you know, for the main peak season, people, existing operators are busy. They're, they're running their business. They're taking care of their guests. And so now they're kind of getting into that cool down phase and saying, okay, what do we need to try to get done before we open next season? Um, I think that for a lot of new ground up, you know, everybody wants to break ground in spring, which in the U S is going to be kind of in that March, April range. And so when you back up from that, the, the time that it takes for permitting and planning and zoning and kind of getting some of your entitlements done. And they said, well, when, when should we start? Well, yesterday, <laughs> now, um, so we're, we're definitely busy. I'm actually going to be out, uh, kind of near Alex, um, fly out tomorrow. Uh, to start a new new project in South Carolina. Um, and we definitely have a lot of work in that sort of Asheville, North Carolina, South Carolina corridor. Um, but, you know, to your, your point, Ruben, I think um, that the best analogy, and I, where, where I live in Kansas City, um, we, we have some acreage outside of town. And um, one, of, one of the things my wife and I wanted to do, you know, someday when we, we had some land was to plant a vineyard. And the, the adage that they tell you when you, you plant grapevines is the first year they sleep, the second year they creep, the third year they leap. And, and you know, it, it held very true. That first year you plant everything and it just looks like sticks in the ground and you're thinking, how is this ever going to become anything? And then the second year you start to see a little bit of growth. And then that third year you're, you're cutting stuff back you're pruning constantly and just trying to stay on top of it. So it doesn't get out of control. Um, and I feel like that's where the industry is. I, I feel like, you know, there's kind of a, a pause. There was some trepidation, especially through COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and, and last year we started to see a little bit of a creep. And, and this year we're really feeling that leap where there's a lot more people trying to get into the space. I'm, I'm really excited about all these new vendors and these new people that are, are making units or selling units or producing units. Um, you know, it seems like every week I have a, a phone call with, with another new person I haven't heard of that are, is doing something incredible that I'm really excited about. Um, and so 
I think that leap this year is, is really driving innovation. Um, I think it's, it's bringing together a lot more, uh, investment, whether that's, you know, banking, traditional lending or, or institutional capital. I think there's, you know, the, the days of people just really being unfamiliar with this, uh, and what it was, um, are, are starting to kind of wane a bit, um, where, where this is now an established industry and, and confidence is there. Um, and, and I agree, I think seeing the numbers this year's, this, this operating season is going to be kind of our first actual real post COVID year, right. To, we, we definitely saw some boosts due to COVID and people getting outside, um, wanting to connect with nature, wanting to spend more time with their families. We, you know, our industry benefited hugely from that, that shift. Um, and I think now where things have kind of shook out a little bit, right. We, we've reached a, a point of stabilization, uh, where folks are, are resuming a new normal. Um, and so I think this year is really going to, going to be key to kind of seeing what is that post COVID look like, uh, for the glamping industry. And, and I agree making some of those projections about, um, what do we need to do now to prepare for, for two to three years from now, which is just part of what we do. Shameless plug. I know we had a, a lot of that discussion on, on permitting and planning and zoning and navigating building codes. And, um, you know, the, the, those are all things that we help our clients do. So. Yeah. The expert. Um, I'm curious just from this group, this is top of mind for me right now as we're at CCRVC level, the association is, uh, working pretty diligently on, uh, a focus on sustainability and tourism specific to outdoor hospitality. And, and we're providing, you know, some education opportunities and things like that to members. Um, I'm curious, I feel like the, the glamping industry itself is, has kind of inherently had this, it has this base in sustainability. You know, you typically see uh, product and suppliers really prioritize it. And so I feel like it's always been a foundational part of, of the glamping portion of the, the outdoor hospitality industry. Um, do, do either our couple of operators or Ruben and Zach, do you see uh, operators and either consumers or operators making business choices or purchase choices uh, with sustainability in mind, or is that still kind of off to the side for? Right? Yeah. I mean, Mike, and be curious to see what you guys think. And, and I think it, it's a, it's a pretty broad term, right? Because sustainability, yeah. um, you know, off grid, mm -hmm. um, just, there's, I think, two things that we see the most. And one is a lot of people really like the idea, right, of being able to be sustainable, be off-grid, be renewable, be whatever it is. Um, it's hard. It's just a hard thing to really do well and yeah. even do well in a way that also helps the customer experience. Mm -hmm. Have people done it well? Has it been a priority? for developers and operators and, and can they walk away pointing to that saying, look at what we've created and look, sure, hundred percent. And I think it's a good thing mm -hmm. to see with the remoteness of, of many properties with the challenge yeah. of saying, Hey, here's 
the demographic that we're trying to attract. Here's the ADR that we're trying to charge. And then here's the experience that we're providing. Yes. It, it's often hard to line all those things Absolutely. up. Not very cookie cutter. And I think a lot of people do come into the space saying, we want this, we want this, we want this. I think it's a whole other conversation about actually executing it in a way that checks everybody's boxes. It's not, it's not simple. Agreed. I couldn't agree more. Um, I'll agree too. I'll just, I'll just add on to that. So one of the things, <laughs> potentially doing some solar. I actually have a buddy of mine who's in that business and I invited him out for property. Um, it's still quite, quite expensive to do uh, a solar setup and particularly with what we have, because we have air conditioning, a refrigerator, a hot tub. Um, I think on some of the more primitive builds that we've like helped consult on, I think you can do it maybe a smaller scale, but when you start looking at a large, large scale solar system and some of the products are still pretty, pretty, um, you know, cash, it's. Takes a lot of money to 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 do that. And I do think I agree with you, Ruben. There's the idea of doing something, and then there's practical cost of it, mm -hmm. and um, and the the timing that it takes as well. Um, yep. So yeah, it's always everybody's having to strike a balance between turning a profit and you know in, investing in something. Um, maybe some I don't know what the carbon exchange is on some zebras, but Richard, <laughs> maybe um, do you have? Can you weigh in on the? I'm sorry. <laughs> No, but I can just offer a comment my, my dad always made is he said if he could budget, he would do nothing in the world. Mm -hmm. And I set up a glamping tent, don't budget, just start because you're not going to get the budget right, number one. Uh, uh, and um, what people don't appreciate is that it's the money it's spent on what you can't see. You know, a cherry mm -hmm. glamping that comes, oh, it's just a tent. But sewage, it's power, it's water, everything got laid up and, and I, yeah, I've also been asked to consult and everybody just hands off to about half an hour after me that, that what they see is not just a tent. Mm -hmm. um, and especially, I, I looked at your website, Alex, it's beautiful by the way, and, and, and you know, to build something that remote and, uh, where you are, well, I don't know if you're, but yeah, I mean, there's no highway that can drop off anything near your place, it, you know, it's just all all adds up to make it more expensive. Cost. Costs. You know, I think, yeah, looking at those costs too, I mean, just piggybacking off of that, I mean, a, a very common theme that we're seeing now this year that I think will affect the development moving forward is there was a higher level of comfort three years ago for people to say, great, buy the property, develop, if I'm an investor as well. And hey, if you miss this, and to Zach's point, you know, everybody wants to, uh, open up at a certain date, which means they need to develop at a certain date, but that's best case scenario, right? Things happen and yeah. happens. And all of a sudden you can miss your window. Now you're a year behind. And that that's huge when, especially you put together a performer that needs to hit at certain milestones. Right. And so I think a sensitive planning, you know, mile uh, kind of a, a theme that we're seeing a bunch of is, is just really shovel ready, right? Like we, we can't, we can't take on that risk anymore of one year turning into three because, you know, we have to, we got to get up and running as quickly as possible. So looking through the lens of risk mitigation by time, what time does it take to actually take your first booking? A lot of the money now is looking at that as a huge sensitivity point. What is it? Re what is really your opening date? 
and what is the risks that are in front of us to actually get that up and running where, you know, a few years ago, people aren't in that sense, hey, we missed a season, not that big of a deal. We open for two or three months now. People are very much, I want things to be open now. I need things to be shovel ready as soon as possible and, you know, driving distance to a city center or this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Sure important, but really this time to open and time to first booking been interesting. It's been a very focal part of a lot of, at least on the investment side, the, the conversation obviously, you know, makes sense why, you know, you, you'd rather be open here in three months versus three years. It's just not always that straightforward. I, I, you have to take your first booking is what I always say. Otherwise you will be never finished. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go on. Uh, like your dome, Alex, I mean, you can just continue building and building and feeling, oh, I need more plants. I need more trees. I need more this. More zebras. I need more zebras. I need to do this. And, mm-hmm. uh, and what I find is take a, set a realistic day and take a booking because mm-hmm. you will be, if you've got it, but if you're not, you're just going to say, ah, oh, you know, give us another month. I was, yeah, I just want to do more before I open that. And, uh, yeah, there has to be a, a line in the sand because then you actually finish. That's what I found. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. To kind of build on the, uh, not to backtrack too much, but to build on the sustainability discussion. I think, um, you know, we, we come at this from a little bit different perspective of being architects. Sustainability has been a big push in our industry for, you know, over a decade now. And I, I do think that, um, it doesn't always have to be a big move. You know, it doesn't have to be a hundred thousand dollar solar array install. Um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the things that, that we work with clients, operators to do, especially in, and I, we're seeing this, the shift, especially with the, the eco resort focus, um, which is kind of an emerging trend in the industry. It, it's not about that one big move or something, you know, that's a, a huge commitment. It's all the little things, mm-hmm. um, you know, examples I can give, uh, shifting all your, your cutlery, your, if you're doing F and B on site, all your disposable, um, you know, forks and spoons and knives and your containers to biodegradable natural, um, you know, there's, there's bamboo cutlery that you can get, um, your soaps in your showers, you know, using biodegradable, natural, non-chemical, um, you know, products in, in, in some of those applications. And I think, you know, there, there are things that are smaller, that are easy to do. There are things that augment the guest experience. Um, you know, when someone stays with you and they're in the shower and they're looking at this, this great soap that you provided for them and you're finding out this comes from this, this local farm over here that raises goats and they make, make their own soaps, right? Um, it, it adds to that authenticity of the guest experience. So I think there certainly are things, you know, big, bold moves and steps you can take from the sustainability perspective. Um, but I also think that, you know, everybody has to start somewhere, right? So it's, it's making some of these smaller shifts, um, and maybe it's something you're doing already. Um, you know, I think the, the bigger, broader scale, you know, we're starting to see the industry as a whole embrace that, um, and we're working with manufacturers that that are bringing bamboo furniture in line. There's, yes. there's actually some big advantages from the, the import, uh, you know, tariff perspective on embracing sustainability with some of those products. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing a, a shift um, to some off-grade units and some off-grade solutions that have a, a lower or minimal impact on a site, but still provide a premium luxury guest experience. Um, and and I think, you know, for those that are familiar with the building and trades piece, um, the, the first step we had was a lead, right? And as, as some way to like rate a, a site or rate a building or how sustainable it is. Um, and that, that process has certainly evolved over time and it needed to, you know, you used to get lead credits for putting in LED lighting in your building. And, and today I don't know that you can hardly buy lighting. That's not LED, um, unless it's, you know, something purely decorative. Um, and so the, the ratings came out, the industry respond, manufacturers responded and, and sustainability has, has made leaps and, and bounds in the building industry. Um, and we're starting to see that creep in a little bit to the hospitality industry. Um, I saw an announcement this week on a, a new classification for dark skies compliance. Um, and there's, there's some imperfectness in it, but again, we have to start somewhere. Um, and so being able to get your, your glamping resort or your outdoor hospitality, uh, resort, uh, certified under dark skies that, you know, that's, again, it could be part of your marketing, part of your branding, um. And it's, it's definitely protecting your guest experience. So I think we're starting to see this industry evolve and, and embrace those concepts. And it's, it's exciting. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, like I said, it's, it's come to our attention because it's, uh, there's, there's a consumer, uh, expectation for that. And, and it can be very difficult for operators to balance that with like Ruben touched on the still providing that luxury incredible experience finding the right um the exact right potion to achieve all of those things can be really challenging so um you know i think it's interesting that the consumers are are seeking it and and considering it as a factor when they're you know looking for places to stay and you know that's obviously always the best driver of of change in terms of operations, when they when your guests are are submitting those requests, it's time to to look at it. But uh, yeah, it's I'm excited to see where things go specific to our members and and campgrounds and and uh, our operators up here starting to pay attention to it um, as it becomes kind of more sought after from from our guests. We definitely have uh, some some work to do on, on the big things, but that, that little stuff, I agree with you, Zach is, is, can be simple to implement and, and make significant impact or change on consumer perception and all of those things, um, that will get you off on the right foot. And, you know, I think we have, we have some, some kind of policy driven expectation around it too. There's sustainability, uh, policy coming down from our federal and provincial governments that impacts operation expectations and requirements for us up here too. So it's a very timely conversation for us and our members and, and um, we'll continue to have it, I'm sure, long into the future, but I'm keen to, excited to see it opening up specific to outdoor hospitality in the next couple of weeks as we have our education events coming out for members. What are we at here for time? Look at us go, it's almost a whole hour. Um, anything else from anybody, anything cool or exciting we haven't talked about that I need to know besides we're getting some zebras. 
We cannot wait. I'll share one thing that's, I mean, I guess somewhat exciting and, and somewhat related to the, the sustainability conversation. Um, I actually had a, a really interesting phone call um, about a week ago with a, a software company um, that specializes in uh, management for mainly the, the hotel industry. Um, they have a, a software platform that allows them to kind of manage and control different things in a hotel room. Um, so like your, your keypad or your card access for your door, uh, your access controls on the hotel, uh, the thermostat on the wall, the lighting in the room, um, all of these things can be controlled uh, remotely and, and set. And we're looking at trying to integrate them into some outdoor hospitality units um, yeah. and, and offer that to where, you know, if you have, uh, you know, 40 tents on your site, um, that as people book that, the, the key codes to access the doors to get into those units are automatically generated by your booking software. The text messages get sent out, um, you know, an hour, two hours before those guests are scheduled to arrive the AC kicks on, um, to make sure that that unit is cooled down or the heat kicks on to make sure it's, it's warm enough when they get there. Um, there's, there's also a tremendous amount of feedback and sensors that we can start to take advantage of. Um, a couple of the things that were discussed, there's a, there's a door sensor. So if your guests are there and they have the AC cranked and then they open up those big doors to go out and sit on the deck and they leave the doors open it will turn off the AC um, because it, it knows that the doors are open. Um, there are, are noise sensors to where if, if somebody's getting a little rowdy, a little rambunctious, um, and it, it rises above a certain decibel level, um, that it can actually notify your, your property manager. Hey, you know, we, we have some noise um, in, in this area, and then they can head that off before it becomes a problem for other guests on the site. Um, or before somebody calls, you know, the local authorities. Um, and it was just, it was really interesting to me um, to see some of this technology that's out there um, and then start thinking about how can we, how could we utilize this in the outdoor hospitality space? Um, and how do we make some of, some of these platforms that, that are, exist, that are working, that are deployed in, you know, tens of thousands of different hotel rooms around the country. Um, how can we start integrating this into the world of outdoor hospitality and, and kind of taking some of these glamping units to that next level? So, yeah, it, that, it's fascinating to me. To I mean, the sky really is the limit. Always, um, our industry is so good at kind of harnessing good ideas, unique, cool ideas. No question. Amazing. Well. On this note, I anticipate seeing, well, half of you at least. Alex, are you going to come to the glamping show? You know, I would, Good. I would love to. I'm scheduled. I have three trips in October, and one of them is to another conference, uh, like an Airbnb conference. So I won't make this one, but I would love to meet you guys in person. So. Yeah, glamping shows are that. Richard, you should make the flight all this way in the Western Cape. Oh, he's muted. Shame. Sorry, I'm dented. Right? Yeah. Uh, I'll also skip this. I'll also skip uh, this year. Bring the zebras next year. 
I'll bring them. You, you wouldn't be the only South African in attendance. Definitely not. Yeah, I met a couple last year too. Yeah, great. Uh, were there a few last year? Yeah. Yes. Quite a few, yeah. Yeah, because it's it's been uh, lamping has kicked off in South Africa. There's in many ways and many shapes and sizes all over. So it's mm -hmm. very, uh, yeah, I think it's worldwide, but definitely uh, crazy. the natural landscape sport and all the zebras. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We had a donkey last year. Secret Creek brought their their donkey to their their booth. Yeah, and, uh, we just we need to get on the bush tech guys and tell them they need zebras. Zebras next, the next thing we'll tell the them. Bush guys from South Africa. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They 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 in zebra land. They they have no. <laughs> I, they, well, I'll, I'll, I know them. I'll I'll tell them that. That's what they are. Zebra. Yeah. Oh, we'll see them in a zebra in a couple of weeks. I'll bring you a zebra bulldog, unfortunately. So, uh, that's funny. Okay, gentlemen, I appreciate your time so very much. I'm grateful to have had this conversation with you as my little segue back into this old world. Uh, I do miss doing the show. It's always uh, wonderful to touch base with so many incredibly uh, knowledgeable industry individuals. And uh, I look forward to connecting with all of you in the future and certainly uh, in Denver in a few weeks. Wonderful. Lovely. Have a wonderful day, guys. Thanks again. Cheers. Bye. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this episode of MC Fireside Chats with your host, Brian Searle. Have a suggestion for a show idea? Want your campground or company in a future episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Get your daily dose of news from moderncampground.com. And be sure to join us next week for more insights into the fascinating world of outdoor hospitality.